So last time uh, we started uh, a new mini-series in Proverbs on uh, training children. And uh, again, some of you are right in the prime of this. Uh, I, I, am, I am in the middle of this, man. Uh, we eat, sleep, drink. Everything we do intersects with parenting in my stage of life. It's all hands on deck and... Uh, Especially all hands on deck in the Looper house right now. Just something as simple as, we just want to sleep for a little bit. So um, so you may be in that stage of life. Uh, you, you may be um, uh, newlyweds and you're, you're, you're thinking about children as God would provide for that down the road. Uh, you may be signal. You, you may be looking backward. You may say, I'm, I'm a parent, but all my kids are grown. And um, uh, Or maybe you even have... Uh, gr- uh, grandchildren or some of you have great-grandchildren, w- whatever stage, I want you to see that uh, there is something for everyone here. Not because everything we're going to talk about is, is readily applicable, but because all of us are called by God in and through the local church to minister to one another, which means you may, you may have no short people living in your house right now, but there are plenty here at Grace Bible Church, and, and that's what's so great about all of you is uh, we have a church that just jumps in and ministers so faithfully, and um, and we see many of uh, many of those blessings through our children's ministry. Um, but we really need to drill down on this. Um, uh, parents, young parents need help. Is this? Um, I was on an airplane from San Diego last night, and um, I don't think I've ever been on a smaller airplane in my life. I think I think the Cessna that I've been in had more legroom than uh, than this. Um, plane, and I won't tell you the brand, but anyway, um, so I'm there, Amy's sitting with me, um, there was this horrible smell, like something died back in aisle 25, I think, and um, and then there, God blessed us with a family um, that I think was split up, one was to our right and one was directly behind us. And I had forgotten how high the frequency range of young children can get when they're not happy. Because it's been a while since we've been in that stage. But it was like the whole way home. Thank, praise the Lord, it was only a two and a half hour flight, uh, not 15 hours. Um, and uh, I'm just screaming. just. And uh, I was thinking, um, I'm teaching on parenting tomorrow. Should, no, I shouldn't, no. Um, but um, anyway, so, so all that to say... Um, uh, young parents, young families need help with these things, and many of you are veteran parents, and you have great wisdom to offer to those of us that are younger and, and maybe just getting started out. So, so here we go. Okay, we're going to uh, part two on training kids today, and we're going to get very, very practical. I hope this will be helpful, whatever stage you're at. Uh, we start thinking about parenting, and this is this is so important, right? Um, what are we even trying to do? And you may remember from last time, those of you that were here last time, we talked about a, a goal, sort of an overall goal that we're trying to do. Does anybody remember? Was anybody here last week? My name's Keith. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here. This is our Proverbs class. And yes? Okay. Wow. Okay. So... You would be able to answer if we had gotten our technological ducks in a row. Okay, gotcha. Okay, well, let's just forget that then. I'll pretend that none of you know anything about parenting, and we're just starting in the basics here. Okay, so what is the goal? Now, the goal here is very important because there's actually a goal from the parent's perspective, and there's a goal for the children. And this is where a lot of parents, I think, um, 
can be misguided because I think a lot of parents assume that if I do what I am supposed to do as a parent, my children will turn out the way that I want them to. Okay? Now, those of you who are veteran parents are laughing. Some of you who are younger parents or looking forward to be parents are going, yeah, what's wrong with that? Uh, so... Uh, let's think about the goal in parenting because I think there are many parents today, many Christian parents today, who are walking around with guilt and discouragement and regret because things didn't turn out the way that they wanted it to. And and part of that, in my judgment, is bad theology. Okay, so let, let see if you agree. From the parent's perspective, what is the goal? According to the Bible, the goal is faithfulness. That's the goal. Um, We saw this in Psalm 78 last time. Let's look in Proverbs, at Proverbs chapter 1, and we'll just look at a few of these verses, okay? Um, The goal is faithfulness. Notice, the goal is not Christian children. The goal is not morally... Good children, the goal is not children that have good table manners. The goal is not children that say, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. The goal on the part of the parent is faithfulness. Uh, if If you're a parent, your child is an independent human being. And what's funny is they express that even from the earliest days. Have you noticed this? Look at little Anna back there. Totally dependent, right? I mean, she can't do anything for herself. And praise the Lord, God brought her into a wonderful family to care for her. Um, and yet, and I won't pick on little Anna because I'm sure she won't do this, but um, at the earliest of stages, a child assumes that he or she should have her way right away, right? That's Burger King theology, right? Your way right away. That's All toddlers know that. And when they don't get their way right away, what do they do? Oh, could you please pass that to me? No. What, what do they do? They scream. And how long does that screaming last? Until you give them what they want. Right? So, so there's, this, there's this perspective that says, you know, I think I can somehow control my child and make my child become what I want my child to become. But the reality is that child is an independent moral agent, a a little image bearer who stands before God alone and will answer to God alone. Now, we have a role, don't we, right? We have a stewardship. God calls us to do things. But at the end of the day, that child stands before the Lord on his or her own. And so many parents think, I must have failed because my child didn't turn out the way that I wanted. And they forget that that child has a will of his own, a will of her own, and that even if if you could have perfect parents, and all of us would raise our hand readily and say, I'm not a perfect parent. I'm far from a perfect parent. We'd all agree with that. Even if a child had perfect parents, that's no guarantee that the child will turn out the way that we want. 
and I'll show you that. Now, don't take my word for it. We'll, we'll see that in Scripture. But I um, just want to encourage you that. Look at, look at Proverbs 1, though. So what the parent's role, then, is not to somehow manufacture a child that turns out a certain way. You know, I think of it, the parenting box, right? You know, the, parent, you, the perfect parenting box. You put the kid in, you turn the crank, and out comes the great, the, the, the child you've always wanted. That's not how parenting works. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. Verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Verse 15. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Keep your feet from their path. Chapter 2, verse 1. Just follow me through here for a few verses, okay? Just follow me. Chapter 2, verse 1, My son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver, search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. Chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. Chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. And you just keep going through all those verses there. It all says the same thing. A parent's role is to be faithful to train. That's it. That's our role. Uh, At the end of the day, I, I believe based on the testimony of Scripture that when we as parents stand before the Lord and we give an account... Uh, He's not going to ask us so much about how our kids turned out as he is about our own faithfulness or lack thereof to the training process. Okay, and the good news is, especially if you're if you're a new parent, um, I remember Lisa and I stumbling on this years ago as as rookie parents, and just the encouragement that it that it brought to our hearts on days when we realized that that we were failing or we had failed in some way, we had not been faithful to the Lord. Uh, this wonderful perspective, we, we alluded to it back in chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see it again in Hebrews, that as we parent our children, our Heavenly Father is parenting us, right? And He's the perfect parent. And so there, there's, this, there's this amazing, you know, you know in sanctification how we, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians says, as we behold Christ, we are changing who His image, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. So, so think about this. As we behold the perfect parent, that's God, and we learn to become like Him in who He is and what He does, then we can turn around and be like our Heavenly Father to our children. So, so God has this wonderful connection between God parenting us and us looking to Him and then Him changing us and helping us to then turn around and be like that to our children by His grace. So that, that is, in my judgment, what the Bible teaches is the goal uh, for parents, is to be faithful in training your children. Okay. Now let's think about it from the standpoint of the child. What are we hoping, wanting the child to do to benefit from, from that faithfulness? Okay. Well, and again, we've read a lot of these same verses already. We can sum it up like this. To learn and walk in the fear of the Lord. You want to summarize what Proverbs says... The goal from the child's perspective of parenting is that the child would know and live and learn in the fear of the Lord. 
What does that mean? So I, I expanded it out because that may be nebulous to you. What does it mean to fear the Lord? Expanded it out a little bit. To love Him, to trust Him with a whole heart, and to follow His word in obedience. The fear of the Lord means that I love God, I trust Him, and I'm walking in obedience in His ways. And we see from those same verses that we saw, there's the parent's responsibility to train, there's the child's responsibility to heed and learn and listen. Uh, so if you're a young person, uh, that's God's will for your life. I'm teaching a series in high school for our high school students on knowing and doing the will of God. So spoiler alert, okay? Learn to walk in the fear of the Lord, to love Him, to trust Him with a whole heart and follow His word and obedience. If you do that in your life, if you make that the pursuit of your life, everything else will fall into place because that's what's most important. Okay? So that's the goal. Now, how are we going to accomplish that as children? Thinking about faithfulness to train. I want to talk to you today about three types of discipleship. And this is the main uh, meat and potatoes of what we're going to consume today in the Scriptures. Okay, Three types of discipleship. And uh, two of them we'll see in the book of Proverbs. Uh, and actually the third one we'll see in the book of Proverbs uh, in the context. It's not explicit, but we do see it in the context. But let me show you a text that explicitly explains... This first type of discipleship, okay? Turn with me, just hold your place in Proverbs. Turn with me back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. As you are turning there, Deuteronomy, as the name implies, is the Deuteronomical book. Yeah, I can't turn it into an adjective. Sorry, never mind. Um, It is Deuteronomy, the second law, right? Namas is law. Deutero is second, the second giving of the law. What's going on in Deuteronomy? Moses is going to die. God's told him that. You're going to die. And Moses has one more shot to teach the people. And you remember, by the time Moses is old and going to die, a lot of the Israelites of his generation have died in the wilderness, haven't they? They've they've gone away from the Lord. They've died in God's judgment or they've died in the wilderness. So Moses has a brand new generation. Picture, if you're, if you're a grandparent or a great-grandparent, picture you got your grandkids around you and you know that <clears throat> the time is coming for you to go be with Jesus and you got one more shot to talk to your grandkids. What are you going to tell them? And that's, that's Deuteronomy. That's Moses looking at his spiritual grandchildren, so to speak, and he's got one more sermon. Deuteronomy is one big long sermon where Moses is, is um, instructing, appealing to, exhorting this new generation. He knows this is probably one of the last times he's going to get to do that. Chapter 6, verse 4. This is sort of the, the, the pinnacle of the, the theme of Deuteronomy. Chapter 6, verse 4. Of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. You say, that sounds like the first great commandment, Keith. And it is. To love God. Remember, remember our goal? That our children would fear the Lord. What does that mean? It means to love Him with whole heart. Here it is, right here. This is, uh, uh, Jewish people call this the Shema. You've heard that before? Why is it called the Shema? Anybody know? Because that's the first word in Hebrew. Shema, here, the command, here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. That's the declaration of the monotheism of Judaism. There's only one God, 
And then here comes the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your uh, heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. Okay, there it is. Now, watch him pivot in the parenting. Remember, he's got this new generation. They need instruction. These words, and talking about the the first great commandment, and also, um, if you look back at chapter 5, he's just reiterated the Ten Commandments. You find the Ten Commandments in two places in your Bible. Exodus chapter 20, when they're originally given on Sinai, and Deuteronomy chapter 5, and when they're repeated in this sermon. Okay, So these words, looking backward to the instructions of God, verse 6, these words of I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. What's he saying to moms and dads? Okay, he's going to say that. Live them. There you go. When he says these commands need to be on your heart, what he's saying is, have you digested? Have you meditated upon? Are you living out? Are you walking in the things of God yourself? And then, look at verse 7. And then, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. Okay? Now, I need some veteran parents to help me answer this question here because there's some rookie parents and there's some singles in here. We just need to, we need your help, okay? Why would God say to parents, you need to live the things of God first before you instruct the things of God to your children? Yes, kids see the disconnect if you don't. Uh, I'm here to tell you, your children are hypocrite detectors, Right? They are hip, they can see a hypocrite from 50 miles out. And they know you better than anyone. And there's nothing harder for a kid when mom and dad are one way when we're at church, when we're with our friends, when we're, right? And then we go home and they're a different way. What, and I'm serious, what would our children think about our faith when they see that disconnect? You know what they think? They think, this is a game. This is a sophisticated game. I go to church, I put on my Christian mask, and I say, hey, how are you? How's your week? Oh, I'm great, right? And then I go home, and I live for myself. So these words, which I am commanding you today, shall be on your heart. So the first way, the first type of discipleship is what we might call exemplary discipleship. It's being an example. It's, it's modeling what it means to walk with God. Now, Now, I'm here to tell you, there is not one of us that can possibly be a perfect example of discipleship for our children, for our grandchildren, for our great-grandchildren, for our Awana kids, for the kids in Sunday school, wherever we're hanging out with children. There's not one of us who is a perfect example. And I'm here to tell you, that's not the goal. The goal is to be, hear me, Not a perfect example, but a real example. A father who is imperfect, who sins, who struggles, but is walking with Christ in progressive sanctification. Which means when he blows it, what does he do? He repents quickly. He asks for grace to change. A mom who doesn't have it all together, you know? 
She's working on some things, just like you and I are working on some things. But she's walking with Christ. She's depending on Him. She's looking to Him each day. She's relying on Him. She's quick to repent when she sees sin in her life. When she uh, realizes there's an area of weakness, she, with God's grace and help, addresses that area of her life. That's what children need to see. There's no superhero Christians. That's fantasy land. That's Marvel Comics land. What our children need to see is what does a real Christian look like? And a real Christian is somebody who struggles, right? Is it just me? Or do you guys have this, uh, this situation also? Right? A real Christian struggles. This side of heaven, we're not perfect. It's progressive sanctification. But that's what our children need to see. And that's why the first thing, the best thing we can do as parents, as grandparents, as great-grandparents, as, as people that minister to children, is that we would live authentically. We don't, listen, we don't try to hide our struggles from our children. First of all, they're better than that. They know, they know you're faking. They, they, they know you're faking when, you, when you're doing that, first of all. But we don't hide our struggles because they need to see that a Christian is not somebody who's perfect. They need to see a Christian is somebody who is relying on God's grace and growing into the image of Christ every day, and one day God will complete the work that he started. That's number one. Number two, the first discipleship type of discipleship is exemplary discipleship, our example. Go back to Proverbs now. The second one is what we might call formative discipleship. Formative discipleship. Now, you may be on to me here. What we're talking about in terms of parenting is the exact same thing we do as a church, right? We're called to be examples to one another. That's number one. Formative discipleship, what's that? Well, you're, we're doing it right now. I'm instructing, right? Uh, we'll go down and have coffee a minute ago, and you may ask your friend, hey, how was your week? Oh, I was really struggling. And you'll minister to them. You'll pray to, for them. Uh, that's... That's formative discipleship. You're, you're pouring into someone else. You're trying to encourage somebody else. Um, formative discipleship. And we do that in the church. We also do it in the home. Notice, as we look back to Proverbs chapter 1, if you want to go back there, Proverbs chapter 1, we've seen this already just in the first chapter, that, that a parent intentionally instructs his children, her children. That, that's what we're doing. And we see that, um, re- really in two ways. And I guess I took you back to Proverbs too early. Um, a moment ago, I'll go back, I'm sorry. I'll make you go all over your Bible. Go back to Deuteronomy for a minute. Um, so these words of mine, which I'm commanding you today, shall be on your heart. That's exemplary discipleship or being a good example. And then there's formative discipleship. And we see that in verse 7 of Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you're back there now. Uh, you shall teach them diligently to your sons. When you go to church. Is that what your Bible says? No, you know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say you shall teach them diligently in family worship. You shall teach them diligently as you pray for the meal. This is, this is radical, guys, so follow, follow the logic here. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you, and then he gives a list, when you sit in your house. Okay? When you walk by the way, okay. when you lie down, when you rise up. Now, what did he just do? All day, every day. All day, 
every day. He, he's writing he's in a way so we're supposed to go, well, what, what, what's there left? And that's exactly the point, right? It, we, we do it all the time. Uh, you shall bind them as a sign in your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Of course, uh, the Pharisees took that literally and they would walk around with little phylacteries, right? Little, little boxes on their head, little Hebrew scriptures inside. See, I have the word of God near my, near my mind. And it's like, eh, you know, that, that you're missing the point. It's, it's, it's near to you in the sense of you're living it out, right? You're talking about it all the time. Now, this introduces, um, this is so, so important. This is what we might call Every moment of life instruction. Think in your mind, play by play. So um, football season, like like Latin American football, soccer, we would call it soccer, right, is going on right now. In fact, every person that I saw who is not an American is watching the World Cup right now. I mean, they've always got it. You know, we were in San Diego, met met some wonderful brothers from Mexico there. Every chance they get, they got their, their thing up and they're watching the soccer game. Okay. Now, now, how does that go? How does that work in sports? You turn on the baseball game, you turn on the football game, and there are commentators, right? You got Joe Buck and, and Troy Aikman, or whoever your favorite guys are to watch, right? And what do they do? They say, well, "We're just going to watch the game. You watch at home." Now, ladies, you notice this? Men don't mind talking if it's something that they're interested in. Have you noticed this? And they just go, da 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 and they talk about the plays, they talk about the calls, they talk about the defense, they talk about the offense, they talk about the players, the stats, the history, they talk about the strategy, that just on and on. Am I right? Am I right? Okay. Just on and 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 on. They're analyzing this thing, they're talking about this thing from every angle, every possible perspective. And as a parent, I would say, go and do likewise. That's the vision of parenting here. You are constantly conversing with your children, here it is, about how faith applies to life. Or what we might call a Christian or biblical worldview. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, we were at the air, Amy and I were at the airport yesterday, San Diego, Southern California. And uh, this was weird, traveling with a 12-year-old girl because... She can't come in the restroom with me. You know, when she was a real little girl, you might be able to sneak a little girl into the guy's room and put her in there, right? Mom, mama can sleep, can, can sneak a, a little boy into the women's room. You remember, remember those days? Well, I can't do that now. I got a 12 year old. I got a preteen here. So dad would go to the men's room. Amy would go to the women's room and I just kind of would stand by the, the door of the women's room and just say, you know, go, go in, sweetheart, do your thing. Come on back out and, you know, I'll be right here. So we do that. So, so she, <laughs> we're at the airport yesterday. She comes out. She says, Dad, there was a man in the bathroom. I said, well, and she pointed him out to me afterward. And uh, she, she said, it was really weird. She said, he was in the stall next door to me. And I thought it was a guy because he sounded like a guy. So I, I, she said, Dad, I waited in the stall until he was gone. I was like, Good job. Good job, sweetheart. All right. So what is that? You think, yeah, that's what living in California is like. Well, I know, I know. Okay, spare the jokes there. It's true. Um, but so we're walking to the airport bus and we're talking about transgenderism, right? I didn't make, I didn't go, okay, on the airport today, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the Lord, to the Lord, about my plan for parenting today. I'm, I'm going to talk about transgenderism with my daughter today. Okay, that's my plan. That wasn't it. God put us in a moment where he sovereignly ordained a circumstance and my job as a parent was to talk to her about what the Bible says about that experience. 
And, and we've, we've had some really interesting conversations. I mean, all you got to do, I mean, God will set it up for you. I mean, all you got to do as a parent is just keep your eyes open and go, okay, I guess we need to talk about that. I guess we need to talk about that. Um, but that's the idea. You're constantly connecting life to a biblical worldview. And, of course, that means, mom and dad, grandparents, that we need to be what? We need to be vigilant. And, you know... By the way, I didn't tell you this. Right next to the girls' room and the boys' room at the airport was the transgender bathroom that this guy was supposed to use and didn't. Um, so it's like, okay, uh, I don't want to talk about that. Sweetheart, just don't go in there. It means as parents, we need to be equipped in the Word to be able to have those conversations, which means, up, oh, we're back to number one, right? These words of mine, which I'm commanding you today, shall be on our heart. Okay, you see what you see the sequencing? If you're not doing number one, you're not going to do so well in number two. So formative discipleship in terms of the every moment of life, the play by play, the Joe Buck, the Troy Aikman sort of conversation, connecting all of life to a biblical worldview. And then there's a second way we do that, and that is what we might call through regular, formal, intentional teaching. Think here, not play by play, think classroom. This is instruction through biblical books, topical studies, theological themes, life issues. We did a whole study in my living room with my kids on homosexuality and transgenderism not too long ago. Um, we, do, we do studies all the time. Right now we're, we're going through the book of Exodus, just kind of verse by verse. Uh, we've done studies on God's view of money. We've done studies on um, uh, uh, how to minister to a neighbor. We've done all sorts of fun. I mean, my, my house is always, there's always something fun. And it's even more fun, mom and dad, when you let your parents, or when you let your children contribute, rather than just say, hey, we're talking about this. Like I asked them a few months ago, I said, what, what Bible book do you want to study next? And they said, Judges. I said, Judges? You want to study Judges? <laughs> yeah, we want to study Judges. Okay. And I said, I'll, I, I want you to know that all the weird stories in the Bible are in Judges. Right? It's true. All the weird stories of the Bible. In fact, that's the subtitle. Book of Judges. The book of Judges. All the weird stories in the Bible. Um, so we talked about the weird... And, and some really perverse... You know, people get cut up and chopped up and tent pegs through heads and all sorts of crazy stuff in that book. But we went through it. And uh, by God's grace, it was beneficial. So those are the two ways... Those are the two ways that we do instruction. Okay? Now again, grandparents. What a great... You ever have your, kid, your grandkids come over? Give mom and dad a rest? You have a sleepover? Look at this. Look at what you could do. I mean, you, you could have a uh, an Israelite theme now. You could build a Mount Sinai in your living room. You could talk about the commands. I mean, you could you could run with this, man, as a grandparent. So so don't think you have to have small children still in your home for this to be applicable. And notice again, if, if uh, you have no association in your family with any children, all of this happens through the church too. That Ephesians 4 vision of ministry, that we're all using our gifts to serve one another, to build up one another, to equip one another, and that includes our children. And you know what's awesome is that um, a lot of you are retired, and uh, as I look around the room, you know what I see? I, I, don't, I don't see inactive retired people. I, I see people that are loving Jesus, loving his church, and ministering faithfully in a season of life where you could just take everything off but you don't, and, and that's awesome. So praise the Lord for that. And as a, as a parent of children in the home, I'm grateful for many of you whose children are no longer in the home because through your participation here, 
through your relationship, through your friendship, through the teaching that many of you do, you're investing in my family. And I really appreciate that, just as a dad. Okay? So exemplary discipleship, formative discipleship. Here's the third way, corrective discipleship. Corrective discipleship. Um, in, in the church, remember, this parallels what we do in church, right? We're all examples. That's type number one. We're teaching, we're instructing, right? That's Awana, that's children's church, that's Pastor Terry's sermons, that's men's and women's Bible studies, that's our small home groups, right? That, that's all that. And then this is corrective discipleship. And corrective discipleship in the church is what we call church discipline, okay? But, but really, in my mind, it's corrective discipleship because the goal is still discipleship. Now, we need to remember, keep some reminders uh, in front of us as we think about corrective discipleship with children okay the first thing we need to remember is that discipline of our children is meant to be corrective and restorative not just punitive it's designed to do what what's that get them back on track it's it's designed to train them uh hebrews in hebrews chapter 12 a passage you are familiar with actually quotes from the proverb we read a moment ago in Proverbs chapter 3. And um, you can turn there or you can just listen as I read it to you. But um, in the context of Hebrews 12, the author is talking about God's fatherly training in the context of suffering, actually. But um, he says this in chapter 12, verse 5. Uh, Quoting from the Proverbs, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he delights. Verse 7, It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Skip down to verse 9. If we had earthly fathers to discipline us, We respected them. Shall we not much more rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Now, here's the key verse, verse 10 of Hebrews 12. For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, that's God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share in his holiness. Do you want to be holy? God says, I'm going to train you. I'm going to correct you and discipline you to that end. And then this is the verse, again, he's talked about, Parenting in the home, and now he's he's looking at God's fatherly father relationship with Christians. But notice they're they're paralleling each other. Those two contexts are paralleling each other. Verse eleven: All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, that goes back to our point. The point of discipline, the point of correction, is training. It's not just punitive. It's not just well. You, you don't get dessert tonight, or you don't get your iPad for a week. It, it, it's, not, it's not just a one-to-one relationship of cause and effect. Discipline has a goal, and the goal is to train. To those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So let's keep that in mind as we discipline. Number two, the goal of discipline is to bring a child back into the circle of blessing. You say, what's that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 6. Let me demonstrate for you the circle of blessing. Now, this is not my term. I learned that term from a guy named um, uh, Ted Tripp. 
in his wonderful book called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Uh, this is a text that you know, but, but let me explain it the way Tripp explains it because I think it's very helpful. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we're talking about corrective discipleship, we're, we're talking about disciplining our children, and we're getting some reminders in our heads before we talk about the process that we see in Proverbs. Um, okay, chapter 6, verse 1 of Ephesians, are you there? Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. And the way Tripp explains this is that God, in this text, draws a circle. Okay? So here's your kid. There's your child. And what the, uh, what the, chi- what, what this text is saying is that when a, chi- when a child honors and obeys mom and dad, there are some benefits, right? There is, it goes well. We might call that blessing and long life. Okay? So there's blessings. And and Tripp says, he calls this the circle of blessing, right? You honor and obey. Child is in that circle where he's honoring and obeying. The Bible says it goes well with you in long life. Well, what happens when little Johnny steps outside of that circle to the place where he is dishonoring his parents and he is disobeying? What happens then? Yeah, God says it will not go well with you. Right? It will not go well with you. Now, what parent looks at their child and says, I do not want it to go well with you? Well, none of us do that. We want it to go well for our children, right? We want to them, them to enjoy the blessing of God, the, the, um, the privileges of God. We want them to enjoy longevity in life and the blessing that goes with a life of obedience. So, if we don't want them to be in this place where they dishonor and disobey and it does not go well, and there is not long life, What mechanism, here's the question, what mechanism has God prescribed to move the child who's outside of the circle of the blessing back in the circle of blessing? Answer, corrective discipleship, discipline. Okay. Now, think of how that translates into parenting. I can approach my child like this. Did you hit your sister? Yes, sir. Okay, you're getting a spanking. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't hit your sister. Now, is there anything wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that at all, but it's incomplete. Okay? What I want to do is say, you know what? God tells us in His Word to be kind and loving to our neighbor. And your sister is a neighbor. Okay? And God says, son, God says, daughter, that when you honor and obey mom and dad, it will go well with you. And right now, you have disobeyed mom and dad, but more importantly, you've disobeyed God. And you've put yourself outside of his blessing. Now, son, that's not good. God made us to know him and love him and walk with him and enjoy his blessing. And we step outside of obedience. We are in a place where we're not going to enjoy his blessing. We're not going to enjoy the benefits that he has for us. And I love you. I don't want you to live like that. 
I want you to enjoy the blessings of God. And, and, and this isn't, isn't monologue, right? It's, it's, it's hopefully two-way. It's dialogue. Do you want to be in a place where you're outside of the blessing of God? Do you really want that? So we're, we're appealing to hopefully something that he says, yeah, I, I, I want that blessing of God, right? You say, okay, so, so, here, so son, here's what I've got to do. I've got to spank you. Because this is God's mechanism to help you to get back into the circle where you honor and obey. You see that? That's how you parent from this verse. That's how you do discipline from this verse. And when we just say you did the crime, you do the time, we miss theology. We miss the gospel. We miss that God is over all of us. This isn't about me and you, son. This is about God. This is about honoring him. This is about his blessing. And that's what we want, right? So, we, we, uh, we think about discipline with the goal of bringing the child back into the circle of blessing. Discipline should target the heart, not just deal with behavior. We'll talk more about that uh, uh, next time. But what we mean there, Proverbs uh, 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Meaning, the reason your child is dishonoring or disobeying you is because he has a heart problem. And he needs a heart solution. And so we want to train in a way that targets the heart. The manner and means must be biblical. Notice in Ephesians 6, 4, fathers do not provoke your children to anger. Do you know that there are a thousand ways that we can discipline our kids that provoke them to anger? There are a thousand ways we can do that. And you know what I've noticed? I'm not not a rookie parent anymore. I'm certainly not a seasoned parent. Um, but you know what I've noticed in the few years that we've been parenting? Provoking your children is very dependent on each child. What provokes one child may not provoke the other. And what didn't provoke them might provoke the other one. So you've got to know your children to know what is helpful, what accomplishes training, versus what is unhelpful and what tends to provoke them. And uh, we must be biblical. We must be intentional in what we're doing. And, of course, the attitude. Our, our attitudes as parents must be right before God. It is sinful. It is sinful to discipline in anger. It is sinful to discipline in frustration. It is sinful to discipline because I want to get back to what I was doing and my child is keeping me from doing what I want to do. So I'm going to discipline them. Our hearts as moms and dads, must be right before the Lord. Okay, so those are just some reminders. Uh, we teach on this in our training conferences, so um, that's just kind of a summary. But Okay, so what does corrective discipleship actually look like? Well, there's really two ways we do it. The first is a warning, and we see this back in Proverbs 1. Actually, we've read this verse a dozen times now. But Proverbs chapter 1, notice what, one of the ways we correct in discipleship and training our kids is simply to warn them. Okay, we see them going off course, we see them contemplating a bad idea, and we verbally engage them with a warning. Chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice you, don't do it. Don't do it. That's a warning. We see it in chapter 5. Let's look at that one for a moment. Um, Verse 3, chapter 5. Son, For the lips of the adulteress drip honey, 
Smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, here's the warning, right? In the end, she is as bitter as wormwood. She is sharp as a two-edged sword. You go hang out with this girl, son. You know what's going to happen? Verse 5. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable and she does not even know it. Now watch the warning, okay? Verse 7. Now then, my son, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. Let me translate into that 21st century. Do not click on that link. Unless you want to go to death. Unless you want to go travel in Sheol. Keep your way far from her. Verse 9, or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one, using your best years for, for, for Satan, for the enemy, instead of for the Lord. Strangers will be filled with your strength. Hard-earned goods would go to the house of an alien. That's child support, in case you're wondering. Verse 11, and you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. You say, how I have hated instruction, how my heart has spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers. I have not inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and the congregation. That's how you plead with your daughter. That's how you plead with your son and warn them about sexual sin. Others that would be Bad influences. But, but notice, it, it's preventative correction, right? You're, you're, you're warning them ahead of time. They haven't actually done it yet, but you're warning them. That's part of how we correct. There are other ways that we correct. Let's think about some of them together. Verbal. We engage them verbally in correction, right? Not just how to think. Or not just how to behave, but how to think too. We see that in Proverbs. We just saw that, right? See through the deception. See through the sin. Um, Logical consequences. Interesting. Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal son. And the prodigal son, in a most disrespectful way, asks for his share of the inheritance when his father's still alive. So, Dad, I wish you were dead. Give me the money. This is how, how we would translate it today. He goes off, and in a short amount of time, the Bible says he squandered his riches on loose living. In other words, he, he lived immorally, he lived in sin, and he spent all his money uh, sinfully. Okay. And what was the logical consequence of that? When next do we meet the prodigal son after that verse? In the pigsty. Now, why is he in the pigsty? Things did not go well. He doesn't have any money. Yeah, there's right. That's the best he could do. And he's sitting there looking at the pigs, uh, you know, dinner going, man, that's some of that sure be nice. What was that? It was the natural, logical consequences of his sin. Have you noticed that God has set up the world in such a way that when you depart from his ways, things do not go well with you? And that's not just a kid verse. That works for old people too, doesn't it? So how do we think about that in terms of parenting? We don't bail children out or intervene to absorb those consequences. 
Why would we do that? Why would we intervene to remove the natural consequences of our child's sin when those natural consequences in Luke 15 were part of what brought him to repentance? Right? Remember what the text says? Then he came to his senses. Oh, what a great phrase. I'm praying for some people in my extended family to come to their senses, just like you are, because they're living right there. Um, now, I'm not saying there isn't a time for a parent to maybe soften some of those things. I'm not saying you know, there's never a time to intervene in some way. I'm saying we do not want to develop the habit of removing and buffering and taking away and absorbing the logical consequences of our children's sin because that's part of what God uses in their life to correct them and to train them and bring them to repentance. All we got to do is read Luke 15. Okay? Number 3. The fruit of sin. We saw that in Proverbs chapter 5 just a moment ago. What's the fruit of sin? The fruit of sin, like a logical consequence, is a result, a specific result of living in sin, but but this is a little more Specific, like the loss of trust. Let's say, let's say a, a husband commits adultery, and uh, by God's grace he repents. The wife is uh, forgiving, and, and okay, they're gonna they're gonna work on the marriage. Okay, praise the Lord for that. That doesn't mean he snaps his fingers and that wife trusts him right away, does it? One of the fruits of sin is that loss of trust. And letting that loss of trust and the need to rebuild that trust is part of what God uses to help that man to grow. That's the fruit of sin. Additional work. Don't you love this? Genesis 3, sin comes into the world. What was part of God's consequence? You know how you like playing in your garden? And you know you really, really like being in your garden? I got bad news for you. There's going to be some other stuff growing alongside of your fruit and alongside of your vegetables. And it's not going to be fun. And the sun's going to scorch you. And you're going to pull these Texas sandburrs out of your tomato field and whatever it is. Extra work. One of the things I love to do with our kids, um, you know, our kids are older, so a couple of them are out of the spanking years. Um, you know what? The house needs cleaning, son. The windows need washing. The carpet needs vacuuming. Uh, the bathroom needs cleaning. And you just, I mean, we have our normal sort of household chores as a family. We all work together to keep the, the house in order. But when they do something wrong, a great consequence is giving them extra work to do. Because it's biblical. God did it for Adam. It's good for us, right? That's the logic. Um, loss of privileges and rewards. If we had time, we'd go to Deuteronomy 28, where God tells the Israelites, if you obey, you get all these rewards. And he lists them. If you do not obey... Here are the liabilities. Here's the consequences. And that sets a paradigm for us as human parents that uh, loss of privileges and rewards, giving of rewards, corporal punishment. We'll talk about that time, the use of the rod and the rod of men, which basically is consequences imposed by an outside agency like a boss or the government. You know, you lose your job because you stole from the cash register, right? So those are all ways that God has designed the world to bring consequences for sin and uh, so we'll talk we'll put a comment in our notes there we'll come back next time we'll talk about the the corrective discipleship there in terms of spanking and the use of the rod there so let's pray lord we're grateful that you love us enough as a heavenly father to discipline us and train us i pray that we would 
be open to the training you want to do in our hearts that we might share in your holiness. And I pray, Lord, for those of us that are parents or grandparents, as we think about our children, will you give us grace to disciple them and minister to them through our own example, through our instruction, and through our correction. Give us grace and wisdom that we might do that for your glory, faithfully doing what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.